So Jeremiah chapter 29, and we'll start with verse 10. Uh, as you know, well, you may not know, some of you do, but Jeremiah is one of my uh, favorite prophets in the Old Testament. Um, he served God faithfully from his youth. He received his call from his youth, and yet his ministry was one that most people would not want. Uh, he preached to people who didn't want to listen to him, didn't like him, and yet he continued to do what he had to do because he said, there is a fire in my bones that is shut up there that I, if I were to hold it in, I would die. And so he felt like he had to speak. And this, this uh, passage that I'm going to read today means a whole lot to me personally. Uh, it has been um, both an inspiration a comfort and a great reminder, and I pretty much revisit it every single New Year's. And I want to revisit it with you this morning. Notice here in Jeremiah 29, starting with verse 10. For thus says the Lord, After seventy years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you, and cause you to return to this place. For... I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your holy word. Bless now this reading of Your Word, the preaching, and also the receiving of You, the Word of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. That's right, buddy. I don't plan to tell you something new today. uh, Really just to remind you of what it is we're to be about. Uh... Some of the most important times in my life have not been revelations or epiphanies, so to speak, but instead good reminders from a good friend. You know, sometimes you just simply get disoriented in life. There's really kind of uh, three positions or states of life found in the Psalms, in the book of Psalms. One is when you're oriented. When you got everything working and everything's just going grand. Uh, the other is when you're disoriented. Uh, when everything is not understandable. When you don't know what the future holds. You can't even see ten feet in front of you. And the other one is reorientation. So you're, all of us are in one of those states. And sometimes it's just good to be reminded of what we're to be about. And so this morning I don't, I don't want to... Uh, bring something new to the table, so to speak, but rather at the end of a year, I want to remind you as we're moving into a new year that 
There are some things that are worth fighting for. There are some things worth giving your life for. And I want to talk about those things this morning. And really bouncing off of what Jeremiah is saying here in 29. Notice what is said in 11. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Do you know that God thinks about you? (laughs) Just as we think of other people. For instance, when, when we go on trips... I think about you guys. I think about certain things in my home. Uh, I think about certain friends of mine, certain conversations that I would like to have. I think of family when I'm away on a youth camp trip. I think of my wife. I think of my children. I think of, of wanting to hug them and, and, and to smell their smell. Uh, I miss those things and I think about that. And really at the end of a year, most of us at least are pretty contemplative as we move into the new year. We are thinking about what has happened. Wow. Interesting. The power just went out. Well, uh, you know, the recorder's still on, Bob. Uh, even though the power's out, uh, I do have the recorder going, which is, is good. Okay. Sorry for the distraction. Uh, At the end of a new year, we often are pretty contemplative. uh, And in the sense that we think about what's going on in the old year and what has happened and what we wished would have happened and what we kind of started out thinking would happen and probably didn't happen or maybe did. Uh, Hopes realized or dreams dashed. And so it's comforting to know that not only am I thinking about this at the end of a new year, but also God is. God is thinking about us. He thinks about... The psalmist in one place, he says, the Lord thinks about us more than the sand on the beach. Now that's that's almost incomprehensible. I mean, we went to the beach this past summer, and again, you know, I, I dotted my thumb and looked at it, and there's just so many granules of sand. And then you look across the beach, and you're just thinking... He thinks about me that much? You know, it's not the stalker kind of obsessive person that you don't want thinking about you. But instead, this is someone who, if he doesn't think about us, we have no life. Remember what Psalm, uh, what is it, 139 says? Lord, please don't stop thinking about me. Don't let you, you are my author. I am your character in your story. And so, at the, at the end of a new year, I want you to know that God thinks about you. He also has plans for you. You may not even have plans for yourself. Some of us kind of go willy-nilly into the new year. You know, oh, I hope things work out. You know, that's some people's plan. That, that's often my plan, actually. I kind of, you know, fly by the seat of my pants or, or shoot from the hip, so to speak, <laughs> on most things that I do. It's not just the gameplay that I play, but it's, it's my life. I shoot from the hip most of the time. Uh, and I don't like to plan, but I need to understand that God has plans for my life. Now, I have a mate who loves to plan. She would plan 14 years ahead if she could, uh, where I'm as the exact opposite. I like, I like things to not be planned. I think it's more fun that way. Uh, and God has plans for us, and yet He still surprises us, doesn't He? I mean, we've had some surprises this past year, I'm sure, as well as you have. Some good, some bad. 
that's the way life goes. And so I want you to know that God thinks about you and He also has plans for you. And you know what His plans are? His plans are only for your good. Jeremiah's context was one where they were in captivity. They had been ripped from their land. There Terrible things had happened, and we've recounted that here. You know the bad things that happened when, when they went into exile. And now he's saying, look, God still thinks about you and has plans for you, and He's going to bring you back out of captivity, and He's going to do great things. And so this morning, I want to ask really just two questions and answer those two questions. The first one is, is this, what is most important? I mean, when you have to really boil it down, what is most important? Because what is most important, obviously, is what we need to be about in 2013. You know, we've got what? One more day left in this year, and then we move to a new year. So, what are we to be about? What is most important? And there are four things that are most important in in anyone's life. The first one is a God to believe in. I mean, if there is a God, which as we all know, there is, then He would be most important. If we have a maker, then He would be top on our list of pleasing. Because at the end of the day, no matter what we do here, we're going to have to answer for what He has done in us. He gave us this body. He gave, us, he gave me this life. He gave me this wife. He gave me these children. He gave me these friends. And so I'm going to have to be held accountable for that. And so He would be, of anybody, most important. A God to believe in. Because some of us believe in a different God than is found here. Even in our Christianity, we become idolatrous sometimes because of our own sin. We make a picture of God when we're children that develops and hopefully gets corrected when we're young adults, but some people still have a, a erroneous an erroneous view of God. They still think it's a game of works, not of faith and works, but of works alone. Or maybe of some kind of, I can believe in God and I don't have to do works. But instead, no, there is a union between faith working itself out in Acts. So, the first thing is God. God is the most important thing in all of the world because He made the world and everything in it, as we affirm in our creed. The second thing is this. This is what is most important. A mate to be with. Now, some of us are married here, some of us are not. But a mate is going to be second in this list. So you really move from, notice this, God or faith to marriage. Now, I hope that if you've been with us for any time and listened to the sermons I preach, that I've emphasized marriage. Marriage is is something that in the Bible is protected. In the Bible is guarded. As I've said before, the the Bible begins with a marriage, Adam and Eve. And it ends with a marriage, the bride and his groom. 
or the, the bride and the groom, which is the bride is us. All of us are, in this sense, feminine, in the sense that we respond to the one who's down on their knee, who is Jesus Christ. He is the groom. We are to be His pure and spotless bride. And at the end of the day, there will be a marriage again. The marriage supper of the Lamb. That's the way Revelation ends. Jesus' first miracle was done at a wedding in Cana. It's important. Every wedding I do, I recount that event. Why? Because that gives preeminence to marriage. Marriage is important. A mate to marry is second. It's the second most important decision you'll ever make in your life. The first one being God. The second one being the one you're going to spend yourself with forever. Union. The third is this. The friends that you will spend your time with. Friendship is a beautiful thing. It's a very helpful thing. Sometimes a friend goes back further than a mate. Sometimes a friend can see certain things that, that your mate even can't see, even though you're one with that mate. It's very interesting how friendship can work and be helpful. Don't ever betray a friend. You know, we, know, we know certain things not to do in a marriage, but most of us don't think about and cherish friendship with one another. Your friends speak into your life. They shape who you are. And so who you spend your time with outside of your marriage and family is the third thing that's most important. And the fourth thing that's most important is a career to work at. We're all to be about some type of career, work, life's work. And so what is that? So these are four things that that are of the utmost importance in this coming year. No matter what year it is, all of these four things must be revisited. You can say it this way. Here's what's most important. is God, mate, kids, self. Remember, we have to love ourselves in order to love our neighbor. Now, it's not a selfish love, but we are called to love ourselves. Remember what Jesus says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. We excuse ourselves a lot and therefore you're to excuse your neighbor a lot. We forgive ourselves a lot and therefore you're to forgive your neighbor a lot. I'm pretty nice to myself and pamper myself and you know entertain myself, so I'm to do that with my neighbor. You see how that works? We automatically kind of intuitively love ourselves, even though some people have a problem with that. And that's why we have to remind ourselves that, hey, I've got to like who God made me. I'm, I'm not someone else. I'm not going to try to be someone else. He made me like I am, and we need to love what we are and where He's headed, carrying us. So, God made kids, self, friends, our neighbors, the world, and our stuff. We can love our stuff as long as it's in this order, you see. Stuff shouldn't be before friends. Stuff shouldn't be before kids. I mean, if you have some prized possession, whatever that may be, or some type of something that you love in life to do, whether it's sports or entertainment, uh, that's fine, but it must be seen in position. 
And the last thing is ideas, politics, those sorts of things. That should be last. So there is an ordering to what is most important in our life. And notice the top three things here. God, marriage, family, friends. These are important. And you say, well, where does church fit in there under family? We are a family. We are the family of God. So that's where church fits in. It's, it's pretty much third importance, really first, because of God. Because the church is the body of Christ. So it's both first and third, if you want to put it in that order. In other words, it's of utmost importance this year. Uh, there's a quote I ran across that says this, I know of no other thought that so concentrates a man's mind as the thought that he will be hanged tomorrow. The thought of death. If every one of us in this room were going to be hung tomorrow from the gallows, boy, that really puts things into perspective, doesn't it? Would you do the same things that you have planned to do today? If you knew you were gonna, your life was going to end tomorrow? I don't know, maybe you would. Uh, maybe you would change some of those priorities. Death has a way of clarifying things for us. This past year, as you know, Pappy passed away and went to be with Jesus Christ. And I had to visit death once again. It's nothing that we like to do, but it's something that we need to do. What do you want people to say at your funeral? I don't mean the small talk, because people always are going to small talk. But what do you want them to leave after they look at your dead, cold body? What do you want them to leave with? What kind of thoughts are they going to have about you? That you were always stressed out? That you were always high-strung? That you were always angry? That you were always worried about money? That your life was in your job? What, 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 is, what is important to you? What will people say one day when they walk away from your body when you're dead? What type of legacy will you leave? One of kind-heartedness? One that people could call you friend? One where they said he was always faithful. She never lied to me. What do we want people to say? Because as my dad wisely always says, everybody preaches their own funeral. It's some of the truest words I've ever heard. You're preaching your funeral right now by what you do. So this first question is, what is most important? The second one follows up with it, and that is, how do we keep what is most important, most important? Because isn't that our, my problem? I know here what is most important. I know God is important. I know, uh, you know loving my wife is important. I know loving my children and providing for them is important. I know that my career is important. My ministry in life is important. But when you look at my schedule sometimes, when I look at it, I, it doesn't look like it's important. So how do we keep what is most important 
most important. The first thing with keeping God important is really, again, four things. Pray. Pray without ceasing. This is the way we communicate with God, our Father. If we want to stay in this family, we are His children. Discipleship is about Him raising us up like we're raising our children. I mean, I'm raising three boys and one on the way. That's not always an easy job. And you know what? God's job is not easy either. He's raising us. He's raising people like me. (laughs) I can frustrate anyone in the world easily. Trust me, you spend you know, two or three days with me and you'll be frustrated. Um, I can be a very frustrating person, I understand. And, and God, He deals with me. All the time He deals with me. You know, Jessica has to deal with me almost all the time. But God has to deal with me all the time. And yet, He says to me, you know what, Marshall? I like you. <laughs> that just blows my mind. That's good for me to know though. Going into a new year. He likes me. It's what uh, G.K. Chesterton, quoting someone, I'm not, I think it may have been George MacDonald, who influenced him and uh, C.S. Lewis, said, God is easy to please, but hard to satisfy. It's just like children. My children... Bo, he is easy to please me. I mean, he walks into the room and I have a feeling in the center of my person about how much I love that little dude. Um, just looking at him, I get great joy that he is my son. Uh, and yet, am I content to let him just scream and throw himself in the floor? No. No. When I was growing up, I used to think to myself... I swear, my dad is never satisfied with anything that I do. You know, I'd play a good baseball game, go three and four, you know, that game. And and have a great catch, even. And he'd be like, son, I think you need, as soon as we got in the car, I think you need to work on this, or I think you need to work on that. And I'm like, why can't we just be like, you did great, leave it at that? Because my dad was easy to please and hard to satisfy. Same way God is. He's not going to stop working on us until we're saints. Until we're holy. Until we're entirely sanctified. And even then, He's going to keep working on us. Because there's always attitudes and mindsets and situations that arise where He needs to correct us. There's always something left to be done. Don't be discouraged by that though. Realize that you please God by your obedience. And yet He's not done with you. The first thing is prayer. And prayer changes us. Prayer is the number one thing that changes us. As we read, we pray. As we come to church, we pray. In our own spiritual lives, we pray. In our public lives, we pray. We must be praying without ceasing. Non-stop. Prayer has to be a part of your year. You need to, I mean, if nothing else, dedicate one real minute in the morning and one real minute at night, and that would alone change your life. Much less if, you know, don't, don't say to yourself, oh yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray an hour each day. That's my goal in 2000. 
Because what will happen is you'll do it for a little while and then you'll get discouraged and you end up quitting. Instead, start out and say to yourself, I'm going to pray for, I'm going to really pray, I mean, really pray for five minutes. Work up to 10, to 15, to 30, to 45, to an hour plus in a day of solid prayer. You say, well, well what books do I need to read about prayer or, or what methods do I need to use? You know what is the best way to learn to pray? To pray. Just to pray. That's the best way to learn to pray. Not to read books. Read books can often distract us from praying. Thinking about praying is not praying. Reading books about methods of praying is not praying. The best way to learn to pray is to pray. Isn't that what Jesus teaches us? His disciples say, hey, can you teach us to pray? What does He do? He prays! What is our model prayer? It's a prayer. It's not a five-step lesson. It's a prayer. The best way to pray and to learn to pray is just to start doing it. No one's good at it. I mean, it would be like somebody saying, oh, I'm really good at conversing with my wife. Well, sometimes you are and sometimes you're not. And most times you feel like you can't get your point across. That's the way most prayers are. It's talking to our Heavenly Father. I could keep going about prayer, but let's table that and move to the second thing, and that is read the Word. We have to read the Word. We have to not just read the Word. We have to study to show ourselves approved unto God. A workman that should not be ashamed, that is able to rightly divide the Word of truth. We ought to study our Bibles. In 2013, part of your New Year resolution, what you are going to be resolute about, is prayer and reading the Bible. Two things that, again, these are, not, these are not revelations. These are things you already know you ought to do. See, I'm only confirming what the Holy Spirit is already saying to all of us. I mean, who can really say they read enough? Who can really say they pray enough? I mean, look, you know, most people think of ministers as, oh yeah, they definitely read enough and pray. Listen, I know ministers. I'm one myself. None of them that I know, not one of them would say, I pray enough. I read enough. Read the Word. Study the Word. As the psalmist says, hide the Word in your heart so that you won't sin against God. The third thing is church going and church participating. We're not called just to come to church and enjoy the show, but instead to participate in church, in the body of Christ. We have several ways of doing that, through reading of Scripture, singing. Uh, we have giving, encouraging, handing out bulletins. It's small things. It's being intentional when a visitor comes in. It's even outside of these walls, part of being the church is feeding the poor. Caring for those who are sick. Two things that we do here intentionally. Being the church. You know, you say, well, why do, I, why do we have to go to church every single week? Why do we have to eat every single day? 
Church is food for the Spirit. Why? Because we have the things that feed our soul here. We read from the Word. We preach from the Word. We meditate on the Word. We pray together. We partake of the Lord's body and blood together. We have baptism together. These are things that feed our soul. These are things that are necessary. to. And also, it's to remind ourselves. Every well, Look, you only have... Think about this. You only have 52 reminders a year of what you're to be about. That's it. That's all we have together each Sunday of the year. The fourth thing is to share our faith. You know, it's kind of interesting. In order to keep the faith, you have to give it away. It almost sounds oxymoronic. In order to keep the faith, I have to give it away. That's the only way to keep it, is to give it away. Kind of like in order to let your money grow, you have to give it to somebody else to invest. Sitting under your bed, it's losing its value. To give it away to someone means more. So four things that keep what is most important most important. Because let me tell you something. (laughs) If you want to be a good husband, good wife, a good father or mother, if you want to be a good friend, a good son or daughter, when you get in the Word of God, when you hide it in your heart, when you pray without ceasing, when you come to church to be a part of the body of Christ, to be the presence of God in the world, when you share your faith, these things put in perspective all the other things. It's not some magic trick. It's that when we put God first, everything else comes into order. When we put God last, everything is in disarray. So, in 2013, this last day tomorrow that you have, would you think about these things that we talked about today? Prayer, Scripture, church life, sharing your faith, your testimony? Would you think about what is most important in life And that when the evening of your life comes, the last breath, the last light that you see in this earth, will you know that you did everything you could? Can you really... I want to be able to say, I did my best, Lord. Would you be able to say, I've accomplished... C.S. Lewis, at the end of his life, it, it amazes me every time I read it. At the end of his life, he was able to say... I did everything God wanted me to and accomplished everything God wanted me to in this life. That's a powerful testimony. I want to be able to say that at the end of my life, if I make it that long, is, you know what? I've done everything the Lord wanted me to accomplish. 
death has a way of putting that kind of thing in perspective. So does the end of a new year, the death of a, a year, you could say. Be contemplative about this. Be prayerful as you enter 2003. Be intentional. It's not enough just to think these thoughts. Yeah, I should read my Bible. Yeah, I should do it. Do it. Do it. You know, Nike's uh, little saying still is the greatest. Whoever was that marketing brainstorm, uh, you know, influences. Just do it. Just do it. Don't think about it. It's not good enough to read about it. Don't go buy books about how to do this. Do it. Just start doing it. And you'll find God. Isn't that what He says? When you seek Me with your whole heart, I'll be found by you, says the Lord. When you go and pray to Me. So what I want to do now is just what Jesus commands us to do, and that is to pray. I have uh, a prayer here that I want to pray over you, that I want you to pray with me. Uh, It's a prayer that the Methodist would pray at the end of a new year, or the end of a a year, and the beginning of a new year. So let's pray uh, this prayer. Uh, I'll pray it and and you participate by both listening and saying, Yes, Lord. Amen. Uh, And then we'll go into our time of communion. Let us pray. I am no longer my own, but Thine. Put me to what Thou wilt. Rank me with whom Thou wilt. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for Thee or laid aside for Thee. Exalted for Thee or brought low for Thee. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to Thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious And blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Thou art mine, and I am Thine. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen.